0: All right, First John chapter 3. And it says, beginning in verse 16, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him, because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God, and God in Him, and by this we know that He abides in us, by the Spirit whom He has given us. Okay, so a rather large portion of Scripture here this morning, right? Uh, so what has John been doing for us? John has been laying out for us these two categories, right? Those those who are in the light, those who are in the dark, those who are children of God, those who are children of the devil. And as we looked at last week, we looked at Cain and Abel, and how we should not be like Cain, and uh, that we should be loving our brother. And what does that love look like? Well it seems as though John continues on that same trajectory this morning, doesn't he? He continues to say, and here's what that love looks like. Here's what it is to truly genuinely love. If you are to love, it ought to be resembling the love the Father had for you. And he continued to press that point. So let's look at verse 16. By this, we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And so a consequence of that is that we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And so let's stop right there. If you have been loved by God, then you have experienced the very love of God. If you have been loved by God, this means that you have understood the love of God in Jesus Christ. Which of us have been loved by God? Well, John's audience was confused in this matter, weren't they? There are people who left the church and started believing completely different things. And so the question was, what's happening here? And so John is very pastoral and he's saying, listen, I need you to understand something. I need you to understand how it works and what the children of God truly look like. And so let's not so much continue to look out there and say, what about them? What of them? What's going on with them? John always brings it back, doesn't he? to your heart. I think there's an encouragement for us right here in that as we hear the word of God, as we hear sermons preached, I know, let's all admit that our temptation is to say, see, see what I'm saying? That's exactly what I was telling you yesterday. Did you hear him? He said it. I didn't say it, he said it. But it's the same thing I told you yesterday. I, I just wish that you would listen. I just wish that you would get it. Myself, I've arrived. But I wish that you would listen to what he's saying. Listen to what the Bible has to say and just do that. And then everything would be fine. The temptation really for us, and it's not that we should never consider others, certainly. But John's heart is that his audience would be evaluating their own hearts. Because he's directly talking about our hearts here. He's saying if your heart condemns you in this matter... Who's he talking to, the heart of the church or the hearts of the individuals that compose the church? Of course he's talking about the hearts of the individuals, isn't he? I wonder this morning if you're in here, if you know what it is for your heart to condemn you, do you know that feeling? Do you know what it is for your heart to convict you of sin? I have to tell you this morning that if you don't know what it is for your heart to convict you of sin, then you do not have the Spirit of God in you because that's what He does. And if you don't have your heart convicted of sin, it means that you've not experienced the love of God. Because if the love of God is in you, what it means is that you will hate sin. There it is. If the love of God is in you, you're going to hate sin, not love it. And if you hate sin and yet you do sin, what's that going to happen? What's going to happen inside that, that conflict? That, oh, oh, I hate that I did that. And more than that, it's mournful to your creator that you have just disobeyed. I, I hate that I did that again. Lord, forgive me. Your heart grips you. What John is going to tell us is that what you must understand is that God is greater than your heart. that mean by this we know that he laid by by this we know love here's here's the great picture of love you want to know what love looks like look to jesus christ he laid down his life for you why because you were so good that he wanted you to be part of him and so he purchased you it had something to do with you had nothing to do with you but instead, he laid down his life on your behalf. You didn't earn it. You weren't good enough for it. You didn't deserve it. But he did it for you out of what? Out of his great love for you. In the midst of your rebellion to him. He loved. And this is what we learned last week about Cain and Abel, right? It's that your brother despises you and yet you're supposed to love him even though he does things that are better than you. You need to love him anyway and say good for you rather than I hate you. And so what we see here is a great picture of Jesus Christ laying down his life for us. And so if you have experienced that in your heart, if you know that you deserve to lay your own life down because of what you have done, and yet Jesus took your place, it's going to change you. It's going to change you completely because you're going to have been loved. Does being loved change a person? If you are loved, does it change you? If you are not loved, does it change you? being loved changes a person. Understand this, no one has loved you more than God himself. But the issue is that not all understand the love of God, not all comprehend the love of God. The reason being they have not experienced the love of God in Jesus Christ, which only comes by regeneration, by the spirit of God in your heart and in your mind so as to understand. That's in the darkness and in the light, right? In the darkness, you don't comprehend those things. You don't see them. You don't get them. But in the light, you see them and you get them and you understand and you comprehend. And the more and more you understand, the more it makes you fall down on your face and admit that God loved you more than you can understand. So how does this change us? Well, it ought to change you at least in this way that you lay down your life for God's children. Given that we are all alive this morning, you've not yet done that. right. Or is that not what he means? Maybe that's not what he means. Or maybe it is. Maybe we should look at the text and see the example that he gives of what it looks like to lay down your life. He's going to start talking about worldly possessions being shared. But could it mean literally laying down your life for someone else? I think it could. I mean, I, I guess I, I kind of get that feeling because uh, there, there is not even an ounce of hesitation with my wife and my three daughters that if what it took was me laying down my own life for their life, I, I, wouldn't, even th- I wouldn't even consider it. Fine, do, right now, do it. I, I don't need to think about that I will lay down my life gladly for their life. No doubt about it. But God so loved you that he laid down his life for you. And what John is telling his audience here is that if you would love the way that God loves, would you not at least be willing to share your possessions with someone? That, that seems kind of less than what God is asking us to do or what he has done for us, right? That seems a bit inconsequential compared to what he did. And right, it is. Do you see how much you've been loved? Do you comprehend it? Do you understand it? And has it changed you? And so we, we see what he means here. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So look at verse 17 for what he means. But so... Here's what he's saying, it, follow this. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us love not in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Okay, so here's what that looks like. He's saying God so loved you, you ought to so love them. And uh, here's how we can kind of look into your life. Here's how you can actually look into your own heart this morning. And here is the key to this morning. Here is the key to this text. This is, in a sense, a window to look into your own heart. If you look through this window and you see a heart that doesn't love, then that's what John is attempting to open their thoughts to, right? But if you look through this window and you see a heart of love, then he's saying, see it's because you're a child of God that you have that love. But if he's saying, look through this window, and you say, I don't want to, or I'm bored with this conversation, or you say, I look through there and I don't see anything, then he's saying, see, it's because you're a child of the devil. He's continuing to do this whole thing the whole time. Who is a child of God? Who is a child of Satan? That, that's the whole point, do you see it? And he's saying, if you're a child of God, then you want to be loving God's children. God so loved you, you ought to be loving them. And here's what it looks like. If you, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need. So what what are the world's goods? The world's goods. It literally says uh, the, the life of the world. The word bios is used like biology. The the, the life of the world, if you have the life of the world, what does, that, what does that mean? If you have those basic necessities of life. If you have what is most basic to life is the point. And in scripture, uh, Paul says, if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Right? And then in James, he begins to tell us, he says, if anyone sees his brother or sister lacking in daily food or in proper clothing... And so in a couple circumstances, we see that food and clothing are basic necessities of life. If you want those exact references, I will at some point have my notes available to me and I'll give you those references. I don't know them off the top of my head. I know one was from Paul and one was from James. And so if we we can uh, see the basic necessities of life, what it's saying is, you know, the way the basic necessities of life have, have been identified actually change depending on your context. Because would we identify a vehicle as a basic necessity of life, for example? What about sanitation, like having access to a bathroom? But about internet? Would you identify that as a basic necessity? Donnie would not, emphatically. <laughs> so, would you, what would you really, what would you identify as a basic necessity of life? Because if we identify too many things as basic necessities, we will all of a sudden see ourselves as needy ones. Do you see that? I don't have internet, and they do. I don't have a newer car that doesn't have any problems, and they do, and no one's given me one. See, they don't love me. Do you get where that could head? All of a sudden, I'm the needy one, I'm the needy one, I'm the needy one, I'm the needy one, because no one will give me what they have because you have identified improperly the basic necessities of life and you feel entitled to things. What are we entitled to? What are you entitled to? There's one thing that you're entitled to. Wrath. Yeah, that's what you're entitled to because that's what you deserve. You deserve punishment for your sin, but you didn't get that. You got breath in your life today and you don't deserve it. But yet, to sustain human life, clothing and food is what is on John's mind, no doubt. And so, a brother or sister looks at another and says, you literally don't have any food to eat. Or the food you have is not healthy for you. You need food. You need food. And I look at them and I say, I have, I mean, I don't have like a storehouse of food or anything, but I've got more than what we need. Does anybody in this room throw food out? You have more than what you need then. Do you have choices when you open your kitchen cabinets? You have more than what you need then. What are we going to eat today? I'm in the grocery store in a while. It's going to be beans. You know? I don't, I don't know. Maybe Maybe that's not how you operate. But we have the goods of life, those basic possessions, and yet we look and we see someone else and we say, You don't have that, and I do, but I don't care enough to do anything about it. And you've closed your heart against that person. This is the window that John wants you to open to peer through this morning. Look into your heart and really evaluate it and say, if there is someone in need, and we can even kind of expand this, can't we? Because really, if someone is in need and it is, is within your grasp to help them, it's reasonable for you to help them. By the way, a basic principle of, of helping in these circumstances is this, is that you don't give so that you yourself become the burdened one, right? Paul, Paul tells us this. He says, I'm not saying that you give and you become yourself burdened, but I'm saying you give out of your abundance, because think about how that would work. You're the needy one. I'm going to give you all the food I have. No, I'm the needy one. And they look and they say, oh, and so they give it back. And they say, oh, good. But no, you're the needy one. And they give it back. Do you see the trap you get yourself into? So how can it be that we give everything and have nothing ourselves and become needy and then depend on someone else? And so the idea here is that the brother who has looks at that as the one who doesn't have. And you say, out of my abundance, I have these two things. I worked really hard for this one. And yeah, I would like it. But do I need it? You do need it. And so here, not expecting it in return, not expecting a reward, but just giving it to give it because I want to. Why? Because God loved me, and God gave me something when I had nothing. What did God give you when you had nothing? What did God do for you when you were needy? What were you in need of? What did you need? You were poor, wretched, pitiable, blind, and naked, and you didn't know it. You were lacking the basic necessities of what kind of life? Spiritual life. You had nothing. And God in his love looked at you and said, but I will give you everything. This is the way God has loved you, and so it should change your heart. If you are a child of God and have been loved by God in this way, it will change your heart to want to be a giving person. I will give you what I can. It doesn't mean that you just give and give and give and give and give, and all of a sudden, there are so many things to balance here, right? Because then all of a sudden, it's like, well, I don't know. I give them so much, now they don't even want to work. I'll just go to Linda Dean. She'll give me what I need. I don't, I don't need to do anything or whatever. But you get how you can kind of enable someone to continue on a path that is not prudent and is not wise. So there is. we have to weigh the balances, right? Weigh the scales on that. But the idea is this. What, what is his point? You close your heart against them. Do you see the point? It doesn't say And you close your wallet to them or you grip your coins harder or whatever it may be. But no, actually your heart doesn't even wanna do it. You don't even care that they're in need. What a difficult situation to be in. But I don't care. Not the heart of the believer. That is not the heart of the believer. The believer's heart, the one who has been loved by God, doesn't operate on those terms. They see their selves as being poor and yet given everything and so when I see you as in need, I want to help you because I've been loved so much. My father has taught me how to love. And so I want to love. And so we give. And then he says in verse 18, little children, let us not love in word and talk, but indeed in deed and truth. Hey, I mean, if I were to say, hey, do you want to give to this need? Yeah, that, I mean, that sounds great. Let's do that. That's that's such a good, a good thing. Anyway, I guess I'll see you next week. You go do that thing because that sounds great. I mean, I really like it. Really good idea. You know, you really got a heart for that. Go ahead. I like it and everything. But you're not actually in it. Do you see the difference? What is the, what is the difference? A heart that actually wants to be a giver. Why? Because I have been given much when I had nothing and the love of God has changed me forever. Does some of us need to grow in the way our heart opens up to others? I think so. Mine does. Sure. I think we all need to grow in this way that, and isn't that his point here, by the way? It's not saying that here's how you identify a Christian. All they do is love and give. But that wouldn't make sense when we look at what it says in First John, that none of us is without sin, and if you say you don't have sin, then you lie and you're not of the truth. So it should be our heart and we should be growing in this. But it doesn't mean you're going to do it perfectly. But yet, should we be growing in this area to give? Now, if you give and you say, "Ah, oh, good. So the message today was on, you know, giving people out of your abundance. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to go home and I'm going to figure out what I have an abundance of. And I'm going to go give it. And there we go. Done. What do you got next? I'll come next week. What, What other kind of task you got for me? I can handle this. No, that would be much like Cain, who gave his offering, not out of his first and best, and not with a heart of faith toward God, but as just an action, lacking in faith, it wasn't actually worship. Because if your heart is not in it, and your heart is not a heart of faith that it is not a true act of worship. So is God just concerned with giving money or just doing, giving away things? And there you go. If you just do that, God likes you better. We know that that's not the case, right? So we do it as an act of worship to the Lord out of faith, with a heart that wants to genuinely see them be loved in this way. Okay. So little children, Let us not love in word and talk, but how? Indeed in truth. That means two things. One, don't just talk about it and never do it, but actually do it. And then number two, it means do it truthfully and honestly in a way that is a heart of worship and it's not superficial. Because there are lots of humanitarian organizations that are atheistic that give to people. You know this, right? So they're giving to people in need out of their abundance. Does that mean they're Christians? Does that mean their heart's been changed by God? That's not what it means, right? So we need to be careful that when we do these things, and we should, that our heart condition is right about our giving. Okay, so moving on to verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. You ever been in desperate need of reassurance of your heart that you belong to God? First of all, I know that many of you have recently been in desperate need of that because you've communicated that to me. I need to know that I belong to God because if I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. I don't know how I could be this far gone and yet belong to the Lord. I need that reassurance. Do you want to reassure your heart before God today? When your heart condemns you? When your heart condemns you of what? Any sin. Sin in this matter of not giving or sin in any regard. If your heart condemns you, what do you do with that? Well, he already told us that we repent of our sin. We confess it to God. Good. But he's kind of coming at it from a different angle in in this particular text. And what he says is this. Whenever our, this is verse 20, whenever our heart condemns us, that is convicts us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. What does this mean? I, I, it means, uh, I, I will get right into it because I realize what verse we're on and uh, I realize what time it is. And so uh, that's what you get without notes, evidently. So, uh, <laughs> it, so what, what does this mean exactly? Um, we have to strike a balance because I will tell you that in the history of interpretation of this text, the, the interpretations are varied. There are many. But here's what we can understand from this text is that when our heart convicts us, we should understand that God is greater than our heart because he knows all things. What this means is I didn't give to that person when I know that I had it, but I honestly, I I cared more about myself than them in that moment. And your heart convicts you of that matter or whatever sin it may be. We're using John's example, right? What do I do with that? How do I understand it? Well, you should understand, first of all, that God is greater than your heart. In other words, you're really hung up on what you did wrong right there because you think that's the end of the world and your heart's convicting you over it. God's greater than your heart and he knows everything. Don't you realize there's a lot more things you've done wrong? And he knows about them all. He is far greater than your heart. He knows everything, everything everything that you have ever done and sin against God, he knows it. But yet, in many of those things, your heart's not tearing you apart in those things. Why is that? God is greater than your heart. There is far more conviction to be found in your heart than you even realize. There is far more condemnation than you realize. But the flip side is also true, and we cannot miss this. When your heart condemns you of sin, understand that God is greater than your heart. In what way? Is that God knows the true desire and affections of your heart and he gets it when you mess up because we have a high priest who can sympathize with us. He knows the truth of your heart. Have you ever as the author of Hebrews says, you knew the right thing to do, but you didn't do it, and so to that, it is sin to you. You ever done something or not done something that you knew you should have and it actually was sin against God, and your heart's kind of tearing you up about that? I know. I know that I should have done, I should have done something different than what I actually did. I know it. And I know that it was sin against the Lord. I, I know I feel it. What do I do in that moment? You should understand that God is greater than your heart. Not only that there is more condemnation than you realize, but that there is more grace and love than you realize. There is more to God than what you realize in this moment because he understands the truth of the matter. And if you truly are a child of God, He knows that your disposition has been changed, but he also knows that you're a broken, sinful human being. This should not then encourage you to say, well, I'll just, whatever. It doesn't matter then. God knows that I'm really a believer, so it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter then if I sin, because God knows that I really love him, even though I'm gonna go and do this. That actually is proof that you don't fear God and that you don't truly love him and know the love of God and Jesus Christ. You see how it actually does the opposite. See, but if your heart has actually been changed and you sin against God, it actually affects you deeply and your heart condemns you. And in that moment, you should reassure your heart before God knowing God knows the intentions of your heart. He knows your true affections. And this reassures your heart before him. Because look at what the next verse says. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, then we have confidence before God. So stop right there. Whose heart does not condemn them before God? What if I were to stand up in front of you today and I can say, this week, listen, congregation, I lived a sinless week, and I stand here before you today as one whose heart is not condemned. How would you feel about that? What if you said it to me? What if you said it to yourself? I stand here as not condemned. But there's a truth to the matter, isn't there? Why? What does Romans 8 tell you? There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are not condemned. Yet you are a sinner. How do these two things work? You are not condemned before God, but yet you are a sinner today. Jesus Christ has taken on himself the wrath, the penalty for all your sin. So, therefore, your position has been changed. No longer guilty, but now innocent, and yet still a sinner. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and confidence is the goal. We, therefore, now can boldly approach the throne of grace. We have confidence. We have assurance. But what about when my heart condemns me and my confidence flees? Do you see the connection? What do I do then? When I sin and my heart weighs me down, what do I do then? And I need that reassurance that I belong to him. Know this, God is greater than your heart. God is greater than your heart. And we're thankful for that. Do you know, by the way, all of your heart's affections and intentions? Or do you sometimes do things and you say, yeah, I don't know why I did that. Child in a manner, right? You ask a kid why they did something. I don't know. I don't know why I did that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can't even remember that I did it. You did it 30 seconds ago. <laughs> I don't know. Do you know all there is to know about your own heart? God does. Do you know all of your intentions and all your affections and the truth of the matter in there? No, but God does. And God is greater than your heart. So when we have this confidence before him and our heart has been reassured before him, verse 22 says, whatever we ask, we receive from him. Because we keep his commandments and we do what pleases him. So if you would just start giving away your possessions that you have an abundance of, you will have confidence before God and he will hear all of your prayers and give you everything you've ever wanted. That's one way you could interpret it. It would be wrong, but you could interpret it that way. So understand that he's not saying, so do all this so that God will hear your prayers because who is that about? That's about you. But the person whose heart has truly been changed, transformed, who is operating from here, this is the person who has confidence before God because they understand their salvation. And it's a person whose heart has been transformed and who wants to give. And it's also a person who stands before God and asks for things according to his will and not according to their own. And so when you ask, you ask in an informed way. You ask according to your to your desires that have been transformed by the Spirit of God. And so when you ask, you're asking for his glory. So when we keep his commandments and do what pleases him, well, what are his commandments? If you start to list the 10 commandments, you're off base because that's not what he then proceeds to do. He doesn't then give us a list of the 10 commandments and say, so keep God's commandments and then you will do what pleases him. Can any of us do that? No, the law actually shows us that we can't do that. It's the point of the law. To show God's holiness to show that we are incapable of being holy on our own. And this is his commandment, verse 23, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Those are good commandments. I like those commandments. To believe on Jesus Christ and to love one another. How? As you have been loved by God, which means a giving heart, right? Which means a seeing someone in need and having compassion on them the way your God had compassion on you in your condition. Is that your heart this morning? A heart that sees other people and has compassion on them? It should be more and more. Because no matter how much we grow in that area, guess what? God is still greater. So we should always be growing in our affection and our love for one another. And then finally, verse 24, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, in God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by his spirit whom he has given us. You want reassurance of your heart before God this morning? I think probably many of us do. What do you do about that? You confess your sin to him, and you acknowledge his great love for you, and you act upon your love for one another, all the while being faithful to Jesus Christ. This is John's intention in the text this morning, that we love, that we abide in him, and here's how we know, by his spirit that he has given us. I want to end our time together this morning in Romans 8. So if you would turn to Romans 8 with me, please. Romans chapter 8. Beginning in verse 1. This is a text that you're very familiar with, but please read it within the context of what we've discussed this morning, okay? Verse, uh, verse one in chapter eight. There is, therefore, now, no condemnation for those who in Christ Jesus. Hey, what does that do to uh, your confidence? Does that give you confidence before the Lord? If you are truly his, how do I know that I'm a child of God? Well, it will evidence itself in love for the children of God. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit have the minds set on the things of the spirit. Now pause right there because here is a big distinction between us and the world, those who have the spirit of God, those who do not have the spirit of God. You have been changed by the love of God and the spirit of God is changing your very affections. I use the word affections. Do you know what I mean by that word? Like the things you most deeply and desperately desire and love. That's what I mean by affections. The things you love, truly love. Like you might not tell other people you love this, but you do. Those are your affections. The Spirit comes to live inside of us and does what? Changes your affections to be the very affections of God. He makes you love the things he loves and hate the things he hates. It's pretty amazing the transformation that happens in in us, isn't it? Are you going through that change right now? The thing you once loved, now you have to hate it. And you know what? You want to hate it. I do hate it. I love that I hate that now. I get it. That's the spirit of God working inside of you to change your affections. You see, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. Therefore, although I'm helping you, Really, I'm serving myself somehow. I feel better about myself when I help you, right? I'm doing it in public so people see me helping you and they're going to say, oh, what a great you know, humanitarian you are. Thank you, I try. At some point, it becomes self-serving if your mind is set on the flesh. But if your mind is set on the Spirit, you're going to do it What for what reason? Because you have a giving heart that has been transformed by the Spirit of God and my affections have been changed. That's not what I want anymore. I actually genuinely want your welfare. And it shows. For to set the mind on the flesh, that's verse 6, is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it can't. from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you. And so here's we, here we see, this is where Jimmy had read earlier. So then brothers, we are not debtors to the flesh to live according to the flesh. But if you're living to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit, you will put to death the deeds of the body, you will live for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. And so this morning, what I really want to do from this text is bring you a great deal of encouragement to your heart because what is John's goal for all of us, for all of his audience, whoever might hear it, what was the Spirit's intention in John writing that, that your heart this morning would be reassured before him. And so I believe one or two things will happen to you as you hear these words this morning. One or two, well, I, I'll add a third. Three things could happen to you. I don't have notes, it's free form. I'm gonna give you three things. The first thing is this. The first thing that will happen to you in hearing these words this morning, that God is greater than your heart, is it's going to comfort you more than you've ever been comforted. Because you're going to know that my heart's affections, I know they are wrapped up in the heart of God. I don't do it perfectly, but you know what? I have confidence before him because of Christ my Savior, and God is greater than my heart. I have confidence in that this morning. Bring on the conviction of sin because I know that it doesn't bring wrath to me. It's been paid. And so I have confidence before my God. And so the second thing it may do for you this morning is it may terrify you because God is greater than your heart and there is far more condemnation for you than you can ever even imagine. You think you did one thing wrong, two things wrong, you got a behavior wrong, you need to change your speech, you need to quit drinking, you need to quit smoking, you need to quit keep adding to the list. There is more than you know. God is greater than your heart. He knows it all. And I hope that if you have not experienced the great love in Jesus Christ, that that does terrify you in the sense that you do not want to experience the wrath of God. He knows it all, and it will all be paid for, either by Jesus Christ or by you. And so the third thing this may do for you this morning is bore you to death. But I want to tell you this morning, if a conversation about loving other people and being loved by God bores you to death, maybe you ought to check the condition of your heart. I'm not saying that is anyone. I actually don't get that impression this morning. Sometimes I do. But not this morning. Because talking about the love of God reassures our heart, doesn't it? Talking about the grace of God reassures our heart before him. Let this encourage you to be loving and giving as God has been loving and giving toward you. And have confidence before God that even when you fail in that matter, that he knows your heart. And so, confess to him that sin, repent of it, and move on. That's what we do. It's an encouragement to us. Keep moving forward. Keep loving. When you love, you might not get the kind of response you want. We've talked about this in the Gospel, or, or in the Book of John so far, haven't we? First John, is that the way you love might not be the way someone wants to be loved. You, <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> I don't know. I don't have notes, so <clears throat> I'll, I'll, I'll end with this probably. So <laughs> what, you could you could spend all this time, you could spend all this time thinking about. A person in need right whoever it may be I see that they're in need and you think to yourself what can I do to be of love and help to them and give of myself to them and you spend all this time preparing buying stuff for them packaging it up making it real nice and like going out of your way hey are you at home I'm going to bring you something you know and it's like I'm going way out of my way here and you get there and it's met with okay alright yeah I mean Thanks, I guess. I don't really care. I don't really drink that. What's the date on that stuff? I mean If you're laughing right now, maybe you've experienced this. <laughs> but is that your reward? Is that what you're in it for? I just want to encourage you with that. That's not why you're in it, is it? So that that person might congratulate you and see you as better than themselves. Oh, what a great heart you have. That's that what you want, right? They'll write you a letter, you know, thanking you for how lovely your heart is and how they can see Christ in you, you know. And you're like, oh, yes, that's what I wanted. Thank you. Or why did you do it? Our motivation matters, actually. I didn't do it for that. Listen. Whether you accept it or not, I'm going to love you because I have been loved. And I'm going to love the best way I can. And if that's not good enough for you, then that's on you. That's not on me. So I just want to encourage you, love the way that you can. Love the best way that you can. Give as you can. Consider with me this morning, as we all consider, how can I be more giving? As God has given to me and the more I understand how much he's given, how can I give? but you understand that I'm not talking about writing a check to the church. But if you feel as though that is a way that you can give, then you should to help us and support us in what we're doing. But really, we're talking about care for the body, seeing a brother or sister in need and wanting to help them because your heart matters, okay? Let's pray together.